0: Praise God, well there. the air. In the light of everything that we've been looking at in, in this wonderful book, this epistle of 1 Peter is really profound. And keep in mind, he is speaking to the persecuted church, to those that are in Asia Minor. 1 Peter is an encouraging book, isn't it? And it's an encouraging book, especially to those that are suffering for the Lord's sake. We must keep that in mind because of his audience. We may not be going through persecution quite like these folks. As a matter of fact, we're far from it. But it still speaks volumes to us because we are children of the living God. We've been adopted into his kingdom and regenerated by the Spirit of God. And even though we may not be undergoing the persecution that they are undergoing at this time and when Peter was writing this wonderful epistle we should prepare ourselves because persecution is coming toward us and I assure you of that when we don't know but we see it on the horizon and it's in other countries right now very severe so keep that in mind I think in the times of uh, peace and prosperity that we should arm ourselves we should prepare ourselves for the day of battle now let me mention a few things here in light of everything i on the preliminary as we go into 1 Peter and look at part 3 of chapter 4 and ending this and concluding this uh, verse 7 through 11. And then Lord willing, picking it up next year. The Puritan Matthew Henry said this, It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day in the light uh, that all things is near. The end is very near. We're reminded in Hebrews 9.27, and as much as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes to judgment, we're all on death row. R.C. Sproul said that. We're all lined up on death row and there's no escaping it. So, what do we do when there's a great, big examination before us? We're to prepare for it. The preparation. And that's why we're here. Let me um, give you another quote here from Luther. Luther, the reformer, said this. He lived on a two-day calendar. His two-day calendar was today and judgment day. That's a good, that's a good way to live, isn't it? Today and judgment day. Do everything you can today and be prepared for judgment day. Chapter and verse on that, Hebrews ten, twenty-three through twenty-five. It's a great verses of scripture from the writer of Hebrews. He says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We should not waver. For he who has promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. To love and good deeds. And then he says this, how do we do this? We do not forsake assembling ourselves together. Not forsaking our own assembling together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, why is it all the more? As you see the day The right translation is a capital D, which speaks of the day of judgment. The day is drawing near. That final day is drawing near. Notice the exhortation. Today, we will consider how to stimulate or to provoke one another, as Paul says, to one another. another, To what? To love and good deeds. First, there's the love. Then there's the good deeds. Just as justification is first, then there's good works that follow. That is the fruit and the evidence of justification. And we're going to look at that today together as we look at the conclusion of what the Lord has to tell us in 1 Peter. So go with me to 1 Peter if you're not already there. To chapter 4. This is a wonderful text before us. A wonderful text. And we're looking at serving for God's glory. This is part three and the final conclusion of this series on this particular section of uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. And what I would like to do today by the help of the Spirit of God that the Lord would help me speak this in the way in which I'm speaking to myself But it being faithful unto the Lord because I know that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord on the judgment day but my examination is going to be a little bit more taller than yours. And not because I'm special or anything but because as a servant of the Lord and as we're all servants of the Lord I speak as speaking the oracles of God from the book, from the word of God as speaking for Him. And if I um, am not faithful and not just doing that, but also praying and doing everything that the Lord has commanded me, as a pastor, I will fall short on the day of judgment. And I do not want to fall short on the day of judgment, even though I feel that um, I will some way or another. There's no escaping that. <laughs> um, Tozer said this when he spoke to Ravenhill. He said, there's one thing that I, I don't fear. I don't fear the condemnation from the judgment seat, when I stand before my Lord. But what Tozer said, what makes him tremble is that I go before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ as a pauper. In other words, that I go not... There's much more that I could have done that I didn't do. That's what makes me tremble, folks. And as I speak that to you, doesn't that all sober us? It makes me tremble. Because there's much more. We only have a short life, a short lifespan, a a window, which is... At the most, even if God would give us longevity of life, 90 years is going to be very short in comparison to eternity. Many people don't make that. But God has given us today, hasn't He? And today is the day of salvation. He's given us day. And what I would like to do, by the help of God and the Spirit of God, to give a personal and practical application to everything that I've already covered in part one and part two. Now, we're going to recap some things, but I think it's, it's very important that we do so. So, in saying that, let's look at the wonderful Word of God. Amen? Isn't it wonderful that we have the Word of God? And I was thinking about this, and when the Judgment Day is approaching us, and it is on the horizon, isn't it? And I, it, it's sobering just to, to think of this because I, I didn't know this particular pastor friend. He just went home to be with the Lord yesterday morning. So, right now in Rome, Georgia. There's a, there's a little church that's without a pastor, and um, I don't know the name of the church, but it's Amanda's father, uh, Michael Ellis, Pastor Michael Ellis, um, died. He was roughly my age. Um, I'm 56. He was 61 and caught pneumonia, and uh, they put him on the ventilator and... Um, he went home to be with the Lord yesterday. We need to keep that family in prayer, in your prayers, please. But as I was thinking of that, he did not know his appointed day. Um, he didn't know that. Actually, he was the type, he just very fervent, very energetic. He, they said he was a go-getter, uh, serving the Lord, serving people. And um, But God has an appointment day, doesn't he? For each and every one of us. I was looking at pictures of him last year at Christmas time with his family and there he was alive and he was this man was alive, very energetic uh, about a week ago and it took a, about a week he went downhill and now he's in heaven with the Lord looking and gazing at the wonderful face of Jesus Christ. That's all going to happen to us folks when we must be prepared. This is what the world do not does not want to hear because they do not want to uh, hear about death, and um, that's why it's in a craze and a fearful panic because of this COVID outbreak. Um, I don't want to go into details of that, but uh, it gets very political. But the point that I'm making is people are afraid to die. They are. Because so many people are not prepared to die. There's no one that is more prepared to die than the Christian. The Christian is ready and he's prepared. But even that, we must be ready on examination day because we're going to all give an account for our deeds done in the body, whether it be good or bad. And that's what the the Scripture says. But look with me to chapter 4 and look at what Peter is saying. Let me go back and I want to read verse 1 all the way to 11. And then uh, we'll pray and ask God to help us as we look at the, close, the closing and conclusion of this message. Hear the word of the living God. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dispensation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel, the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are Judged In the flesh as men They may live in the spirit According to the will of God And then in verse 7 Then he starts talking about This is the reasons why we should Serve for God's glory Notice this The end of all things is near Therefore Be of sound judgment And sober spirit For the purpose of prayer Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who's speaking is speaking the utterances of God or the oracles of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a wonderful benediction in this section that Peter has given by the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, speak to us this morning, Lord. Speak your words to us. And, O oh God, may not a one of us leave here, Lord, unless we are changed from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Help us to be obedient, Lord, and be doers of the word and just not hearers, that we would not deceive ourselves. And we thank you for this word, Lord, that you've given unto us today. Help us, O God, to love You with all of our hearts and to obey You. For Jesus' sake, in His name I pray, Amen and Amen. Our faith in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be removed from the realm of real life, everyday living, the mundane, the ordinary, life in which we live every single day in what we do in our work, in our home, in our walk, With the Lord. Not only is faith in Jesus Christ um, and doctrine reasonable, but it's very practical. It's very, very practical. And that's what I, I love so much about the Apostle Peter. And Paul was very practical as well. Paul just had a different systematic way. He would pour on, he was more the theologian, he would pour on a lot by the Holy Spirit, and that was his giftedness. Because he was a student, he was a theologian. The same Holy Ghost inspired Peter just the same as with Paul. Paul had a different way. He always brought out doctrine, and Peter does the same thing, but in a different way. Well, if you think of it, the Apostle Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't the theologian that Paul was, but at the same time, he was a man of God, he was a head apostle, he was a servant of the Lord, and God taught him much, didn't he? And in this wonderful book, we see his practicality in Christian living coming to light. And it's the Holy Ghost that gives him these words. And uh, just as the Apostle Paul as well. Both apostles is being used by the Holy Ghost. Not only is faith in Jesus Christ, like I said, doctrinally and reasonable, but it's very practical and Scripture tells us this. And Paul the Apostle quotes um, the Old Testament prophet. And then the, and, and Hebrews quotes the same thing, but he says, The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And the just are those who are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So justification is first and foremost, and then comes the sanctification. That's the practical Christian living that we are to live every single day. Let me say this at the offset. Salvation is just not the forgiveness of sins, even though that is very important and inclusive. But salvation is a new order of life altogether in the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. And then he says this, The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Newness of life. Jesus said, I have come to give life, and I've come to give it more abundantly. And He is the one that is that life. Because He said that. He made that statement. He says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He is that life. And that life is from God. So all life comes in and through Jesus Christ. And the life has come. So a new order has come. Old value systems, old priorities, old beliefs, old loves, old plans are gone. All has become new. That's what happens when we're regenerated. It's like God turns the lights on. You're in a dark room. You're walking in a dark room and somebody clicks the light. God has clicked the light on. He has given light in Jesus Christ. We live in a very dark world. Now you and I reflect that light, like the moon reflects the light from the sun. Even though evil and sin are very still present, Romans chapter 7, within us, the believer sees everything now from God's perspective. And isn't that wonderful? That's everything. That, that is what makes the believer distinct and different from those that are lost in the world. The believer in Jesus Christ has an eternal perspective. He sees everything from God's viewpoint. God in eternity is a constant reality for him. And he now lives for eternity in view. He doesn't live for time. He sees the eternity, eternal, before him. Eternity is in his view and not the temporary. Because we know that the things of the world is going to pass away. But he that does the will of God will abide forever. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. The believer's focus is therefore on things above. Therefore, listen to the Apostle Paul. Therefore, if any, have been, if any of you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. And then he says this, not only do you keep seeking things above, set your things above. Set your mind on things above. Not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died. That's the reason we do that, because we have died with Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he says this when Christ, who is our life, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory at the judgment. We will be revealed with him in glory. So the believer in Jesus Christ is much more concerned with the things above. Which is what? God's everlasting kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Take no thought for your life. Your your life does not consist of the abundance of things, He says. God's going to take care of that. And Jesus said, and He pointed to nature, and He said, look at the sparrows. God takes care of the sparrows. He takes care of the birds. How much more value are, they, are you than them? So there is great care with God. And as long as we see God and love God and seek Him first, He's going to take care of those things. Salvation is to be also not only that our sins are forgiven, that we're cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus, which is absolutely huge. But a lot of times we overlook the great fact that salvation means hold us. That Jesus has made us whole. He comes to make us whole. He told when He healed those that came to Him as the lepers came. And the leprosy was a type of sin. He cleansed them. He healed them. And it's amazing. Could you imagine being there when Jesus healed the lepers and grew new skin on them and healed them and they were completely cleansed. No more a leper. But Jesus says, you're whole. You're whole. I love that. Because that is what salvation really means. We're whole and changed and transformed. And this happens by the regenerate, regeneration power of the Holy Spirit. It is supernatural. Aren't you glad that salvation is supernatural? Salvation begins at the cross of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me, The forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ cleansing us by His precious blood, by faith leading to a transformation of life, which is abundant life in Jesus Christ and conversion. Conversion is repentance, turning from that sin, and living a life which is in sanctification and everyday practical living, and that is our obedience to Him. It's in that order, which is the fruit. Our obedience is the fruit of our faith and our love for God. How much we obey God is how much we love Him. Or how much we do not obey Him is how much we do not love Him. Ultimately, this is all consummated in the glory which Jesus Christ our Lord will be revealed in. Now, Peter is actually, in the section we're in, he is speaking about good works. But he's talking about serving for God's glory. And the good deeds and the good works... Godly living are the things that do not save us, but these are the results of salvation. Spiritual works of righteousness for our Lord and in service to one another becomes the fruit and, the, and results of that transformation. Now, how do we know this? Read the whole book of James, obviously. Without faith, it, there's no good works. Uh, you must have... And actually, he, he points out you can have dead faith... Without works. And you can have, in other words, there's a dead faith and there's a living faith. But when we have the living faith, the works are right. Everything is right in order. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, a very familiar passage. The Apostle Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace saves us because grace is something we cannot earn. It's unmerited favor given to us by God through Jesus Christ, through His unspeakable gift. But it's faith that is the instrument, that is the gift that lays hold of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. We cannot do that. He can, we cannot save ourselves. It is God's grace, wholly by God and His unmerited favor. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. God's gift. And then he says this, not of works. Now we're not saved by works, right? He says it obviously here. Least anyone should boast. There be no boasting in heaven. Because no one can save themselves. It is only Jesus Christ that can save us. Only God can save us through Christ. Verse 10, but he turns that... And notice what he says. First, there's always justification by faith, and then there's sanctification, which there is good works. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now that's convicting, isn't it? We should walk... We should obey the commands of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to understand what this verse means. Not what it means to me, but what God is saying. Notice that little word, that. That's key. Did you catch that? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Verse 10. For we have... For we are his workmanship. You know what that means? The Jerusalem Bible puts it this way You are God's work of art. You are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Two times right there he says, Saved through faith, saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, even though salvation is a, is a believer's blessing, but it is ultimately for the purpose of glorifying God. That is the goal. And that's where Peter has taken us. That salvation is bestowed on the believers in his endless, limitless, infinite grace and kindness in Jesus Christ, all because of God's mercy. Because God showed mercy to us that are deserving of hell and wrath. So all of heaven, and I assure you this, and all you've got to do, and I stand on the Word of God on this, all of heaven will glorify God. We see this in Revelation, don't we? All of heaven. We did a series on that in worship before the throne of God. All of heaven, all the angels, every created being, and all of creation will glorify God. This is ultimately the goal of all things. That And this is the believer's ultimate goal. And the triune God will be, will be glorified. Through saved, redeemed sinners. And through Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. And so God saves us by His gift. And His free, sovereign gift of grace. And for that purpose to glorify Him. Now... That purpose is for good works. For good works. And this is where Peter has taken us. Good works cannot produce uh, salvation, as the Scripture says, but we are to glorify God. Jesus even said this on the Sermon on the Mount. He says that they may see your good works. And then what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. So there has to be good works outwardly. And what is... What the problem of so many today is they got it backwards. They got the cart before the horse. They're looking at reformation without regeneration. But Jesus says there's regeneration first, then reformation. Change. The regeneration happens in the heart and then works its way outward, not the other way around. And that's exactly where the Bible always takes us. So Peter is talking about the fruits, the results, the evidence of our salvation here. We are saved by uh, grace. We are saved by, yes, in in one sense we are saved by good works, but it's no one's good works but Jesus Christ. It's His good works. R.C. Sproul said that. It's the works of Christ. That's the works that saves us. So Christ in His person and His works that has fulfilled all righteousness and we lay hold of Him by faith and what He's done by faith and we glorify Him, right? And we glorify Him by the way we live. Everything that we do is important. We may think it's, it's, it's not being seen. It's not important. But not only before the watching world but before the God, His watching eye. Because He's the one that's going to be judging us. Just not by what we do, but the Scripture makes it very clear that by why we did it, why, our motive, we're going to be judged at the judgment seat. Why we did this and why we did that leads us to sanctification. I don't know about you, I need sanctifying every day. Thank God He has created us for His workmanship. I love that. That translation, God's work of art. You are God's work of art. I am God's work of art. The church is God's work of art. His handiwork. Almost like the potter and the clay in Jeremiah, isn't it? He's the potter with the clay. He molds us. He makes us. He puts the fire to us. He puts the hammer. He chisels us. It's painful, but oh, he's making a work of art. And that's what God is doing. And it's all for His glory. It's all for His eyes. And that's what we're looking at in Peter. Now, in the light of the return of Jesus Christ, verse 7, at the end of all things is near, how can we live in obedience before our God, in obedient love unto God, for, our, for God, for our neighbor, and for one another? How can we apply this to our everyday walk with God in the course of our living? And beloved, can I say this with surety? Everything that God does and says, or better yet, in the order, everything that God says and does has perfect order to it. God does nothing that's not disorderly. Actually, sin is the, is the thing that has, the, the malignant thing that has literally taken things out of order and has brought the curse and here comes God through Jesus Christ into the world in which He made and then He puts it back together and does it even better. Isn't that glorious? The God that we serve is a God that knows how to reverse the curse, take the sin out and He says the last enemy that will be dealt with will be death. That sin will be, it has been taken care of at the cross. Jesus Christ puts perfect order back in our lives. And when we see out people out there that's all in ruins and rabble and going to hell, God, through Jesus Christ, puts them back together again. And our purpose is to be a conduit, an instrument, to take that word to them and say, here's your answer. The crucified Savior. And they look at you like, you mean to tell me that to be made whole is all in one person? Absolutely. It is in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. But He is the living hope. Amen? And we have that living hope. God puts perfect order. God gives us the desires to love Him. To be changed by His Word. He never ever leaves us in the dark, does He? Because He's that light. He he comes to give that light. Isaiah says this, Arise and shine, for the light has come. That light is Jesus Christ, and He comes into a very dark world. Light has come, and that light is Jesus Christ, and in that light, in His holiness, He is given the love of God because of God's love. The radiance of God's glory is Jesus Christ. Well, Let's look at this very quickly as I possibly can. Verse 1, we see a faithful suffering Savior. We see a faithful suffering Savior. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered death in the flesh has ceased from sin... What the apostle is actually exhorting the suffering saints at Asia Minor is he's encouraged them in the sufferings to look to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Look, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author, the perfecter of your faith, for, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him who has endured such hostility against by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart wouldn't you think that a suffering Christian would lose heart unless they knew that they was not suffering for purpose I don't know about you but if I was not if I was suffering for something severely without purpose I would want to die just take me out of it but you know You know what Peter is actually doing here? You know what he's actually saying in the text? He's actually telling us that there is purpose in suffering. That's what he's telling us. Look very closely. Because if you go to verse 1, he tells us since Christ has suffered, see, Christ has suffered a suffering that you that none of us can touch. But he suffered in the flesh. And then he says, You arm yourselves also with the same purpose. But see, here's the thing we need to remember. It's only for a time. It's temporary. No matter what the sufferings they were undergoing, it was only for a short time. There's glory on the other end. And Paul says that, the sufferings that that we go through is not even to be compared with the glory that awaits us. It's glorious. So... Not only does physical, but you know, Jesus suffered physical pain and suffering. Jesus suffered spiritual pain. The Son of Man, the Son of God, took sin upon himself as the spotless Lamb of God, and he took that up as an offering, the Lamb of God, and God poured his wrath on him. For it pleased the Lord to bruise him. For sinners slain, ultimately Jesus was dying. Not only for our sins, but he was dying for the glory of God. Suffering takes a whole different meaning, doesn't it, when we look at the cross. Commentary Heiden, from the, uh, commentary uh, on the Heidenberg Catechism, a godly man by, the Zach, by Zacharias Ursinus says this, quote, "...the keenest, most bitter anguish of soul, which is doubtless a sense of the wrath of God." against the sins of the whole human race it was that this that caused him to exclaim upon the cross with a loud voice my god my god why hast thou forsaken me as if he should say why dost thou not drive away from me such severe anguish and torments thus we see what and how greatly christ has suffered In our behalf. Isn't that the focus? Isn't that the meaning of Christmas? This suffering for Jesus. I'm sorry. That Jesus endured for you and me. It takes a complete different meaning. In the light. Of His sufferings. Our sufferings. This is why Christ said in. Matthew 5. 10 through 12. And He used the word Blessed. Blessed. The Beatitudes, blessed, 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 blessed. And at the end of those Beatitudes, He says, blessed are you when, when, notice that, not if, when, when people insult you and persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then He says this, rejoice. And be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets which are before you. The world looks at you and says, you're crazy, you're mad. But we know that suffering takes purpose. Jesus suffered for purpose and for the glory of God. And our suffering, what little it is compared to Jesus, is nothing. But we know it has great purpose, right? Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Not only we we see a faithful, suffering Savior, we also see faithful, suffering saints, right? The saints are those who follow in the train of Jesus. They follow in His steps. We are to follow in His steps because He has set the example for us. Jesus, We follow Jesus Christ to the end because He loved us to the end. Verse 2, so as to live the rest of our time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Now think of that. We don't live for the lust and the desires of men any longer. We live for God's will. We live for God's desires. That's everything, the will of God. This is what the believer in Jesus Christ pursues with all of his heart. I don't know about you. God's will is absolutely paramount. Jesus said, We're to pray. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven the will of God now that's those who have died with Jesus Christ and unto sin Romans 6 4 through 7 answers the questions of verse 1 2 and 3 you could turn with me there if you like but you don't have to but the apostle Paul says this what shall we say then What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase or abound? May it never be. God forbid. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? See, that's the key right there. we got to see that when Jesus died, we died. When we lay hold of Him, we died unto ourself. As well, And we die daily. Paul said that. He says, I die daily. That death. We are to put and mortify the things of the flesh. This is sanctification. But therefore, then he says, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. You know, it's not talking about water here. He's talking about being baptized into His death. So that as Christ was raised up from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. There it is, newness of life. For if we have been become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. First there's death, then there's resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self, our old man, was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin, that our body of sin, might be done away with. In other words, that means made powerless. Was so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, but he who has died is freed from sin. You know, dying with Jesus Christ is, it puts an end to our sinful, evil desires, but it's a glorious thing because you're going to reign with him. And who's this through? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So in order to faithfully serve God, as Peter is talking about, we must be freed from sin. Basically, the truth within is called the great exchange. This happens when Paul speaks of 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's double imputation. Again, He takes our sin, He gives us His righteousness. It's newness of life. We hear a lot about the first part of the imputation, but we don't hear much about the second part, do we? We don't hear enough about the newness of life and the victory we have in Jesus Christ that we are more than conquerors through Him because of the power of the resurrection. But we need to hear that. But in order to have the power of the resurrection, Paul said this, he said, that I might know Him, that I may know Him and the fellowship of His sufferings and the power of His resurrection. In other words, in order to have the power of the resurrection, we must share in the fellowship of His sufferings. That's what we shy back from, isn't it? Because the old flesh says, no, I want my comfort. I want my ease in Zion. But in order to get the glorious treasures and the rewards, the greater the suffering, the greater the glory. And that's, there's purpose in suffering. That's what he's saying. Well, Paul summarized the very heart of the gospel in that text, didn't he? Wonderful text. We all summed up in the reason of the works of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is what is the one that did it all, right? 1 Corinthians 1.30 But by His doing, or of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom and from from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. There you have all the doctrines of grace wrapped up in one verse. And all that the believer is given in salvation is by God's gracious giving through His Son, Jesus Christ. Anything that we have that that has been given to us in salvation, it's all in Jesus. And I'm telling you, it's an enormous amount of treasures. We, We have been adopted into His kingdom. We have being given the adoptions of sons, we are part of the inheritance, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And all that Jesus has is ours as well in Him. It's glorious. Is that worth suffering for? I say yes and amen. Because everything we see here is going to pass away. All that the believer is given and salvation is through Jesus Christ. Awesome divine wisdom is given to us. Through Jesus Christ. Imputed righteousness is given to us. Through Jesus Christ. Sanctification from sin. Is given to us. Didn't James say it? James says 17 and 18. Every good thing. Every perfect gift. Is from above. Coming down. From the Father of lights. With whom there is no variation. Or shifting shadow. And the exercise of His will. He brought us forth. By the word of truth. By the word of God. So that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. All for what? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. Not only we see a faithful, suffering Savior, we see a faithful, suffering saints, we also see faithful, sanctified saints. God sanctifies His people, right? And you see that, you see that. I don't want to spend a lot of time here because we already looked at it. Look at 3 through 6. For the time already passed is sufficient for you, To have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. For all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dispassion, that they malign you. Now, let me stop right there. Notice, they're sanctified. That's why they're being persecuted because they're holy unto God. They're separated from the things of the world. There is a cost. There is a cost living for Jesus. Amen? Set apart. We're cleansed. We're set apart for His glory. We're set up because He has purchased us. He's bought us and He's purchased us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, he sets us apart. We are also to set ourselves apart. But He's bought us with His precious blood. And by the way, look at the ransom God paid. The bias. The precious blood of Jesus. Is that valuable? Is that costly? Jesus Christ and His death and His resurrected, resurrection... Verify, vindicated all of it. The, the believer has committed to follow Jesus Christ all the way to death and, his, and to His resurrection and ultimately to glory no matter what the cost. Ultimately to resurrection. I like what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 8-13. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead descended to the date of David according to my gospel for which I suffer this is the reason Paul says I suffer I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal the apostle Paul but the word of god's not imprisoned for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen for the sake of the elect so that they also may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with eternal glory. And then he says this it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And then he says this and he gives warning. He gives the encouragement, the exhortation. Then he gives the warning. If we deny him, he also would deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. In other words, if there's any denying, it's not on God's part. Right? It's on our part. And that goes right along with what Brother Keith said this morning about that are we going to be a faithful steward, a faithful servant, a faithful slave to the end. And when we answer for the talents and God has given us what He's given us, are we going to bury it? Or are we going to be that wicked, slothful, lazy servant that buries that talent. Paul gives to us the words of encouragement to the believers here to remain faithful, right? But there's serious, serious warnings of words that's given to us to those who defect from the faith. And all you got to do is look at Judas. He was a defector of the faith. He heard the sermons of Jesus Christ. He saw the miracles, but he defected. We need to hear this because there are warnings that we are... That we should not be careful. We should be careful and be watchful in prayer that we would not defect and enter into temptation to deny our Lord. God forbid. Well, there is a fearful reality there, isn't it? But there's an encouragement too that even though Peter denied the Lord, he came back and he repented, and God restored. And you know what made all the difference in the world? Because Jesus prayed for him. Jesus prayed for him. Well, Jesus is praying for us. Amen? We must be faithful to the end, not faithless. We must be committed to the end, not a casual casualty. A casual casualty. A casual Christian. God help us. Suffering, faithful Savior. Faithful suffering saints, sanctified saints, separated from the world, who do not love the world but does God's will. Then look at verse seven through eleven. We see, we see the suffering faithful servants of the saints to unto God and men. One four commands. One great goal is the glory of God. Spurgeon said this: We are sanctified. And Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit when He subdues our corruptions imparts to us graces and leads us onward in the divine walk and the life of faith. And then He also said this, you will never glory in God till first of all God has killed your glory in yourself. If you can't say amen, say ouch. And I'm telling you, I'm saying ouch. We must die to ourselves daily. We must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus to the end. And glorying on ourselves comes naturally. It's a birthday gift from <laughs> the cradle. Old oh, sinful nature. Thank you, Adam, right? But we're not going to blame Adam, it's inherent in all of us. Oh, the believer must be of sound judgment, right? Sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. He lives in, such a, in the fear of the Lord. Let's look at that. Rejoicing in hope. He trembles at the same time. He rejoices. There's communion. That's prayer. That's communion before the Lord, which is key. That God, God is not only... We don't only go to God, I should say, and prayer is a duty, but it's a delight. And that's what makes the difference. People that are Pharisees, and don't get me wrong... It is hard to pray at times, and our flesh pounds us, and we get so busy. Well, like Martha, we're serving all the time, but we're not doing the thing that is most important, like Mary did. She sat at the feet of Jesus. Now, I know we got labors, and we got a job to do. We all must do it, but every chance and every moment you get, I'm telling you, go to the feet of Jesus. Have communion with our Lord, because He bids us to come, and He bids us to stay. Delight yourself in the Lord, the psalmist says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what that means? He plants his his desires in you. He doesn't give us our selfish desires, he plants his desires that we do his will unto him for his glory. Communion with the Lord, prayer with purpose, delighting in his will, hating what God hates, loving what God loves. That is fearing the Lord. The admonition is summed up in these four commands. The end of all things is near at hand. Therefore be a sound judgment, sober spirit, purpose of prayer. Notice these are attitudes before God and man with the attitude of full commitment to follow Jesus Christ, to deny ourselves daily, to take up our cross, to follow Jesus Christ no matter what the cost. Verses 1 and 2. Then we saw the attitude of heavenly wisdom, godly wisdom. How do we get wisdom? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Loving wisdom, but wisdom is important. We see this in 3 through 6. Scripture says this in Proverbs 7, 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 29. Because they hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, listen to this. And specifically, God tells us in instructions how... We are to fear him, how he gives this fear, and there's something we must do. Seek it with all of our heart. Listen to this. My son, my son, he's talking to someone in his family, right? If you will receive my words and my and treasure my commands within you, within you, make your ear attentive to, to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Notice those words: receive, attend, incline. To understand. For if you cry for discernment, that is in prayer, lift your voice for understanding. We've got to lift our voice for understanding. And if you seek her as a treasure, a silver, and search for her as for hidden treasures, verse 5, then you would discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. He loves to give wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And all this are the treasures out of praying. Seeking, knocking, asking. Jesus said this, Matthew 7, 7. Keep on asking and you will receive. What you ask for, keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened unto you. Praise God, amen? Don't give up. Keep praying. We should not faint. God desires and delights for us to come to Him. 1 Peter 4, 8 Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Notice the one another's. Verse 8, verse 9 Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Verse 10 As each one of you have received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know what that word manifold means? The multicolored grace of God. One another, one another. Be hospitable to one another. Serve one another. Each of these commands are to be obeyed for love unto God, our love to God for one another. And you see this all through the Scriptures. Go with me. I don't have much time, but 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, very quickly. This is a whole sermon in and of itself. I have to cut out a lot here because there's a lot here, but... If you read all about chapter 12, he's, he's talking about spiritual gifts, unity and diversity, and unity and diversity in one body. Notice verse 12, for even as there's one body, as the body is one and yet has many members and all members of one body, though they are many, are one body, so is also is Christ. For by one spirit we are baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves are free, whether... We, are, we were all made to drink of one spirit. One, one. But there are many functions, see. For the body is not one member, but many. And then he says this, For if the foot says, Because I'm not the hand, I am not part of the body. It is not for the, this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I'm not an eye, am I not part of the body? It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? What he's trying to say is every part of that whole part of that body is important. Whether there's some parts of the body that cannot be seen and some are seen. But all is important. The hearing, the ear, the eye, the nose, the hands, the feet, the mouth, all of it's important. So, If the whole body were an eye, who would be the hearing be? Where would the hearing be? If the whole were the hearing, where would the sense of the smell be? And then he says this, But now God has placed the members, each one, there it is, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. He's being very practical here. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which is seen to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas more our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, given more abundant honor to that member which is lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. All for that one body, all functioning together. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And now you are the Christ's body. And individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church. First apostles. Second prophets. Third teachers. Then miracles. Then gifts of healings. In that time period now. Helps, administrations. Various kinds of tongues. And all are not apostles, are they? No. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? Obviously, it's no. All are not workers of the miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? He's got a point. Verse 31. But earnestly desire the greatest gifts. And then he says this. I will show you a more, still a more excellent way. Then he goes right into chapter 13. If I speak with tongues of men and the angels. Now he's talking about these gifts. And there's gifts to each one. But the greatest gift is love. agape. But do not have love. I've become a noisy gong, a can-clanging cymbal. And if I had the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as so to remove mountains and do not have charity or love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, I could be a martyr. And if I surrender my body to be burned and I do not have love, it profits me nothing. That's so convicting. We could be a martyr for Jesus Christ and be burned to the stake and if we don't really love, we're nothing. Don't you love the way Paul brings that out? Each member has a purpose and a function for the glory of God. But if we don't have love, and notice that's where Peter goes. Keeps fervent love Agape love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And then he goes into serving one another. Be hospitable. He shows us how that we serve one another for the glory of God. And wow, my time is gone. (laughs) Wow. What am I going to do? I got two pages before me. Oh my. I think enough has been said. Prepare for judgment day, folks. We must serve God out of love. I like what MacArthur says. Each and every one of us is like a spiritual snowflake. You and I are unique in our own way in the way God has made us. And let's be all that we could be, as the Marines say, or the army. Is that army? Yeah. Be all you could be. That's army. I should know that. I was in army. Unto God, amen, and for one another. For His glory. Jesus, who came, the King of glory, took off His royal robe, laid aside His crown, laid aside His rights and His privileges, and He put on lowliness. Lowly born, Philippians 2, right? And humbled Himself all the way to the death of the cross. Think of that. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of glory who made it all, took His crown off, took His royal robe off, and stooped into the dark world and became a servant. And went all the way to the cross and died. Talking about an example. And this is what... Let let, let me close with this. Let me close with this Wonderful poem by C.T. Studd Only one life to assume be passed The two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way Bringing conviction to my heart And from my mind would not depart Only one life to assume be passed Only what's done for Christ will last Only one life yes only one life Soon will be will its fleeting hours be done Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life to soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, only one life. The still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish, aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life to soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or, for, or in His will. Only one life to soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would victory a score, When self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life to soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, Thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing Thee in my daily life. Only one life to soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And this stanza here was added I don't think C.T. Studd wrote this last stanza, but it's a good one. "Oh, let my love with fear of her burn, and from the world now let me turn." <laughs> Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life to soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. I'm sorry, he did write that. The last one here was added. Only one life to soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one life. Now let me say that will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, 'Twas worth it all. Only one life to soon be passed, only what's done with Christ will last, only one life to soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Only one life to ascend me past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in your word. You give us clear instruction of how to live and be faithful, to be faithful servants of yours, sanctified servants. All because of the faithful one, the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can follow in His train and follow in His steps because it is He that sanctifies His people through Your Word. Father, we thank You for the instruction and righteousness that we find in Your Word. Help us, O Lord, to be obedient unto the end for that great one goal for Your glory. And Lord, we know that one day we're going to all stand before Your judgment seat. May not a one of us, Lord, be there unprepared. Help us to prepare ourselves, Lord, daily. Help us to fight the good fight of faith and to the very end, just as Jesus our Lord did and was faithful to the end. Lord, we thank You and we praise You because all is Yours. All glory belongs to You through Jesus Christ. We thank You for what Peter says in Your Word so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. We thank You for Him. Thank You for this great salvation that has come to us. Now may we serve You and be faithful to the end and long to hear the Master say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.